And if those things are in place, I think the what becomes a lot um, clearer and, and, and more attainable. And then we have to work with the how. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. you know, so, and I think the how, there's, there's different ways to do that. So, you know, the, the big names, the Remax, the Coldwell Bankers, you know, they were once upon a time, one broker that started things out. And um, there's things to learn from from them uh, that I certainly don't know at this point. Um, but you know, I don't I don't think that that's my I don't think that that's my goal is to be you know some big well. Welcome to the JWell CFO Show. I am your host Jeremy Wells, and with me today is a great guest, Jennifer Isenberg. Jennifer is running her own real estate office. She's got a couple things that really looking forward to talking with her about something called a BPO. We're going to find out about what that is, how that might be able to save you some money. Um, but Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. Jennifer, tell us what you're doing. Tell us about this brand you've got behind you here, and what that is, and how you got to that point. My shameless plug. Um, <laughs> it's all good. That's what we're here for. Thank you for having me. Uh, I have been a licensed real estate agent since 2015, January, and got into it looking for something that would be a little bit flexible with my schedule. Totally started from Googling. What does a real estate agent do? How to get your Florida real estate license? I mean, I was green, green, green. And so then it just started building from there. Uh, my first year in real estate, I did really well. And I started to reflect back on where, why did I do really well? And where did I go right? Uh, maybe some things where I could do some improvements in my second year, I did better and, and so on. So um, uh, primarily, I work in residential sales. And I'm in uh, Deland, which is West Volusia County. And that's my primary market, although I have had sales outside of that this is the market where I can go into a house and know how much it's worth and, and know the neighborhoods and every street and things like that. So um, this is where I'm most comfortable, but um, yeah. So, and then a couple years ago, I went uh, in Florida real estate, you have to be an associate for two years under a broker and then you can get your broker's license. And many people don't have the desire to get their, their broker's licenses. I certainly didn't. Uh, but circumstances in my life kept me home um, during that period of time where I needed to do some continuing education requirements. And while I was looking at it, I went, well, you know what, I'm home anyway. I'm having to take some time off of, you know, working on the street. So um, let me see what this would all entail. And then I started falling down that rabbit hole. Uh, so working, uh, once you have your broker's license and you're working under a broker, you're what they call a broker associate. And it's just a little bit more credibility The people, other agents look to you for guidance and you're able to step in when the broker of record um, is unavailable for one reason or another. So I did that for a couple years and um, just in January of this year, I opened up my own office. So um, that was, I, I wasn't expecting to do it again. Uh, I just kind of follow sometimes where life leads me. And uh, that this is where it led me. So I got my brokerage license in November, worked from home for a couple months until my lease was ready to move in. And, and here I am. Awesome. Awesome. You said some people, you know, in real estate might not be aiming for becoming a broker. What, 
what's the difference between being an agent and a broker and what would what what differentiates people who want to become a broker from those that are happy just staying an agent well when either either broker a broker broker's license or an associate license they both are um, able to become realtors so realtors are members of the national association of realtors so just because mm -hmm. you have your license doesn't mean you're necessarily a realtor so yeah so when you see that little blue R logo on the bottom, that means that they're a member of the Realtors Association. Um, and so both broker and associate can, it can really perform the same duties as far as selling and buying and representing customers and clients and transactions. Um, what a broker can do that a associate cannot do is lead the business. Um, they can, they can um, receive money. <laughs> So gotcha. a sales associate cannot receive pay directly. They have to go through a broker. Um, and that's to, to save the public, to protect the general public, to make sure that somebody that's receiving funds for the sale of, of this property is trained on how to handle those funds properly and is also maintaining the legal requirements of, of the um, files and the transactions. Gotcha. So, um, but many people will want to just keep their associate license and go on with that. Agents make make good money um, if they're good agents, and there's really no reason to go for the broker's license. They um, and a lot of times agents, sales associates uh, can make more money than brokers, just depending on uh, the broker's business model. So it's really just a matter of where you want your career to go. Um, for me, uh, and I think sometimes this can apply to other people as well. Um, I tend to get like this five year thing where every five years I kind of start to look back and go, Hmm, like, where am I happy? Where's this going? This kind of thing. And, uh, I decided that I was getting a little, um, complacent and a little bit, um, I don't want to use the word tired, but, um, in a way I was not enjoying the hustle anymore. The going out to the listing appointments, the showing properties all day on the weekends, meeting people at night. Um, I have three young kids at home and it was becoming more important to me to spend time with my family and that work-life balance was getting out of whack. So um, when I decided to open the brokerage, I did that because I can design the business so that I'm not out there posting the listings, um, working with the buyers. Instead, I, I'm what they call a non-competing broker. So I empower the agents that work for me, the associates that work for me to get those listings and to represent those buyers. Um, and, and in that way, I'm more married to the office nine to five, but I also have a lot of autonomy to leave and do things as I need. Uh, I can do more brand awareness and brokerage networking and capture leads for my agents and disperse them amongst the agents. And, um, and, and I also am very hands-on. I know every transaction that's going on. I am available in case an agent has an emergency or wants to go out of town and need somebody to back, back them up. Um, we're, we're like an island sometimes, real estate agents. And um, if you want help, you're gonna have to pay somebody to help you. So your little weekend vacation might cost you an extra thousand dollars because you have to call somebody to come in and help you. So um, as the broker, I'm receiving a cut from their commission and my cut goes towards my, I, I, I firmly believe that they should be getting something for the cut that they're giving me. So yes, I have the liability and, and yes, I have more of the education and, and the business um, 
overhead costs, but I also think uh, it builds relationships better with my team for them to see me out there working. Um, I, I firmly believe that a, a leader leads the way, you know, um, yeah. they have to be walking the walk so that the others can follow. And that's what I'm here for to kind of catch it. I'm also the troubleshooter when things go wrong. I'm also the, sometimes they call me Google because they come to me with all the questions, you know? So that's, that was kind of, that's why some people want to go and open a brokerage so that they can design the business a little bit more and have more, more control over their time while others are very happy doing the hustle and are making good money and don't see that, don't have that desire. So, yeah. Interesting. No, that, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's some analogies there, you know, yeah. with, with accounting. So, I mean, a, a couple of things kind of stuck out to me that one, you know, there, we don't really realize it on the consumer side, but there are these professional distinctions between, you know, who can call themselves a, a broker versus who can't, you know, and, and within, within accounting, it's almost the opposite. It's like anybody working in accounting can call themselves an accountant. But you have to have a certain license to call yourself a CPA. You have to have a certain credential to call yourself an enrolled agent, right? And so, you know, you you kind of, everybody in the field is out there calling themselves an accountant, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody is a good accountant or even that we're all doing the same thing. So you have some accountants that are focusing more on tax. You have some that are focusing more on bookkeeping, some that are focusing more on audits, some that are focusing more on small business advisory. So there's a lot of different things that fall under that title of accountant. Um, just like there might be a lot of different things that fall under that title of realtor. You know, yes. you might be dealing with an agent versus a broker versus an associate, all these different things. Yes. Um, and then, you know, there is the level of, um, you know, right now it's a, it's a seller's market in accounting. There's a shortage of accountants out there. And so there's lots of jobs at all kinds of different levels for accountants, but there is, there are some accountants that are happy pulling the nine to five, or if they're in tax, you know, during tax season, you know, pulling 50, 60 hour weeks. Um, mm -hmm. but they don't want the responsibility of having a firm. Right. Correct. You know, and then, and then I'm the opposite, right. You know, I, I've, I've, I've never been a good employee. I've always been a great worker. I've never been a good employee. I always hated having a boss. I always hated having a schedule that I couldn't control all these kinds of things. And so I went the opposite route. I said, I'm not going to have any schedule. I'm just going to work all the time. <laughs> it's all on me. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but, but I like having the responsibility, but I, you know, the, it, the one thing that really stuck out to me when you were talking about becoming, you know, getting to the level of being a broker is, you know, you take on the added responsibility, but you also control the cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's up to you to make sure that, you know, you get paid and then everybody else gets paid. It's up to you to make sure that all the paperwork gets done correctly, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that, that trade-off between, more responsibility, but also more control. You know, mm -hmm. I, I definitely think that that separates the the entrepreneurs, the owners from the ones who are happy to just, you know, do their work and collect their pay. Everybody's made different. There's, there's, you know, lots of different uh, types of people in this world and that's what make it, makes it go around. So for me, I was like you, I, I you know, um, for, it, it's funny though, cause you said, um, you know, I thought oh, I just work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and right. I think that is a natural thing for entrepreneurs to do. Yeah. Uh, we are self-motivated people. And so it is, we're, we're more, uh, we're, we're less disciplined when it comes to getting up and going to work. Um, you know, we need that discipline. We got that. What we yeah. need is the discipline to shut it off. 
And there are different things in uh, your life and there's different tools to really make sure that you are, are being accountable to yourself and to the other areas of your life. Um, so yeah, it, it, being an entrepreneur and deciding that that's the path for you has its own challenges. Um, but there are people that that's what they thrive on. And I think yeah. I'm one of those people. I think you're one of those people. So, you know, that, that's what yeah. brings us here. And, and I think I can be really proud of the fact that because I'm here and opened this brokerage, I have seven agents and one employee. There's eight people plus myself, uh, that, you know, now have jobs in the economy. Uh, and that's a really powerful and, and nice feeling too, to know you're giving back and making an impact on society in a way. So, right, right, right. Yeah. So seven agents, right? What, mm-hmm. you know, how, how does it work? How does becoming an agent work from the broker's perspective? And what are you, you know, what are you looking for? Are you, you know, putting calls out there asking for more agents? Are you, are people applying? Like, what is it, what are you doing from the broker side of thing to build your office and get more agents in your office? Well, so a couple things. Um, first of all, I think in most businesses, there is an underlying theme of building relationships. You have to build relationships to be a sex- successful person. They say it's who you know, not what you know, that kind of thing. I think it's a little bit of both, but I think <laughs> right. you can't apply what you know um, if you don't have anybody that's you know there for you to provide services to. So building the relationships um, within the community and just um, uh, being out there and doing a good job um, is kind of what I've been trying to do for the past few years. Um, When I, uh, and and I'm going to back up a little bit. So when we use the word agent, um, that is, you know, technically our license is for a sales associate or a broker's license. Agent is comes, comes into play because Agents are agents to my brokerage. So they, um, it goes back to the term, it draws to the term of agency when it comes from a legal standpoint. So, you know, the broker, whatever they do, they're an agent of me. So that's where the agency relationship really lies. So when I say they are my agent, it means they are acting on behalf of me um, out into the, into the community. Um, there's also a, a um, a, a relation, an agency relationship with customers, uh, but that's a little bit different. Uh, it used to be more so, and this is really why I think agent is still used so much. Um, there used to be more of an agency. You were a seller's agent or you were a buyer's agent and you had a fiduciary responsibility to that seller or to that buyer. And what was happening a lot was uh, the wires were crossing and we had what was called dual agency where you'd have a listing and then a buyer would walk in at your open house or whatever and now all of a sudden you are representing the seller and the buyer and you could not by definition have a fiduciary responsibility to both uh their the responsibilities would not allow you to do that and so um and now i'm speaking just on florida because real estate law is state specific but they came up with what we call as a transaction broker so what that means is uh, we represent the transactions so instead of now being agents of the seller although that is what the you know jargon is we are technically agents of the transaction so we can work both sides um some agents prefer not to um some agents are like awesome i get all the commission um and it's better because they get to just handle everything um themselves it's almost like when you have a group project at cl- in class you know you, you either want to work by yourself or you like working with a partner right. um, 
So it kind of opens it up a little bit more. Um, but anyhow, so when you, when you, when you say agent, um, and I say agent, basically what that means is that they are an agent for me. Um, and to do that, it's paperwork. Um, they are independent contractors for me. So they are their own businesses. So technically each agent is their own entrepreneur. Um, just, it's kind of like disperses down and, and agents, there are some agents in this business that never go into the brokerage. Uh, they are, you know, on their own, they've been in it for 20 years. They don't need the support. They just don't want the liability. Um, and they go on. Uh, so when I opened, I actually had, um, a, a sales associate who I worked with at my previous brokerage and um, he was looking to make a change. And so when I was thinking about changing, it was, it was funny. He kind of inspired me to change. Um, and so he was always going to be one of my agents and I have not recruited agents. I've just, I, I, I kind of had to put the brakes on a little bit because I wanted to make sure that I had the proper protection in place before I had other people that I was responsible for. Um, but building those relationships in the industry is, is where my agents have come from. It's just hmm. people that I've known, uh, people that know my work habits and, you know, my honesty and things like that, doing what you say you're going to do, following through, um, being just a good person, being able to sleep at night, ethical, those kind of things. Um, right. So I've had people, uh, and, and a lot of them are referrals from other people. Referrals, as you know, are so important in business. Personal referrals, your sphere of influence, um, that can't be, you know, emphasized enough. So that's where my agents have come from. I have set myself, and I'm saying this on here because then that keeps me even more accountable. <laughs> right. I have set myself to a maximum of 10 agents for my first year. I think that is what I can handle. Um, what I've learned in real estate was like when I first started as an associate, I had one transaction going. I was like, wow, like this is a lot. And then at one point I had three going and I went, oh, wow, this is a lot. And then I found out as I was ending, you know, as I was really out there hustling, I could have six, eight, 10 transactions going on and I could handle that. But now I had had all of that experience behind me. So I know at this point I can handle 10. Um, can, not all 10 can be brand new out of the box because each person needs some training and, and not just brokerage policies, but basic real estate training. You don't come out of real estate school knowing how to write a transaction or writing an offer. You just don't. So, um, it's, it, that's kind of where I'm at right now is I have seven agents. I have, um, people that have expressed interest in joining me. I have not, and, and I have a little bit of a, um, a feeling too, because those agents are technically, uh, agents for other brokers right now. And, and so I don't particularly want to seek out agents that are working for a broker. Um, it, it feels a little icky to me. Um, so I kind of just put myself out there and we'll let people come to me. Um, and if, if it feels like a good fit, great. If I get to a point where I can't, um, you know, I, I feel like I can't take on anybody else, then I'll have to you know, tell them, sorry, I don't have space for you right now. But, you know, I, I really look forward to um, working with you in the future, perhaps, you know, get back with me. Um, but I have to be very careful because I don't want me to get watered down. And what my availability is to the agents, um, you know, they are my number one clients. Hmm. And if I'm not available to be there for them and to know, 
between 10 times three transactions is 30 transactions going on at one time. I want to know, okay, when is this one closing? Where is this one at? You know, um, who's the agent on that side of this one? Um, and I'm not going to be able to keep track of that right off the bat, you know, times 20 or times 30. So, you know, um, and I'm not really sure where I want my growth to go. All I know is for this year, I'm looking at getting 10 and mastering that. And once I can master that, we'll see where we go from there. Well, that, that raises an interesting question because so in, in accounting, if you think about scaling up, right, the, you know, get it, getting more clients, you know, we all want more clients. And so there's a debate over, you know, should you just be trying to attract all the clients or a specific niche of clients or something like that. But in general, you know, you're trying to think about getting more clients. And so to get more clients as you know, an accounting firm, well, now you need to hire some more tax preparers because you've got a bunch of tax returns to do. You need to hire some more bookkeepers because you've got more businesses with books that need done. And maybe you get to the point to where uh, you bring on a partner, right? Somebody that, that is, you know, right at your level. And so now you're splitting the duties of managing the client relationships and all these kinds of things. What does scaling in a brokerage look like? Because, you know, to, to an accounting firm, bringing on more people means you can handle more clients. But it sounds like in a brokerage, bringing on more agents means it's, it's more work for you to make sure, you know, all these moving parts are, are going in the right direction. So how, how do you start thinking about scaling that? So to you, you're saying there's this natural ceiling of, of about 10 agents right now that you feel comfortable with. But, but like you said, at some point that was one, you know, and then it became three and then it became five and now it's 10. So what goes, you know, is there some, you know, I can only handle you know, a brokerage can only handle a certain number of transactions a month or so, you know, is there some cap or how do you scale that up so that the brokerage can keep growing? I'm glad you asked that. You know, really, first of all, you have to have the goals for your business. Um, there, I'm in a small town. There's a lot of small town brokerages with what now the, uh, the fad is to call them boutique bo brokerages. Right. Um, boutique accounting crazy. firms. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so there, you know, I, uh, I might, and other people certainly are comfortable with keeping a small business. I mean, and, and scaling is not really a concern. They just, they want to keep it small. Um, I, I have a couple different theories. I kind of have contingency plans in place. So I, um, on one hand, I might want to do that. I might like the little small knit team that we've got going on and we might have a waiting list of people that want to work with us. And, um, you know, that might be one route that hopefully we can, we can, um, get to the other route would be if we did want to scale up and, um, uh, that will, it, it depends. So for now, um, my agents are mostly new agents. I have out of the seven, one is um, more, he's been in the business longer than I have. And then three, so that leaves six, three of the six have been in, in it less than two years, but they have some transactions under their belt. And three of them are brand new licensees that do not have transactions under their belt. And so once my agents have become more experienced, they don't need the Google to come and reference <laughs> anymore. Um, then the scaling gets easier. Um, on top of that, I've actually designated the experienced agent that I have that inspired me to, um, to really think about my career and, and which led to this brokerage. Um, he is my sales manager. So you can have managers, you know, he's an agent, he's a sales associate, but he's also his title in our business as a sales manager. 
And he is uh, in charge of more of the hands-on training. So I mentioned, I'm not out there on listing appointments. I'm not out there showing property. One of the most important ways to get training job and I'm not there to do the on-the-job training. Uh, and so he is the one that they'll shadow for things like that. So I can start putting into place other managers. I can do, there's ways to do teams in real estate. Uh, that's a big popular thing right now. Mm -hmm. um, so basically I'm, I'm trying not to keep my, um, my, I'm trying to keep my mind open to different yeah. possibilities and, and just see how things go. Um, I think, I don't know, I'm a big fan of the book, Good to Great. I don't know if you've read Good to Great by Jim Collins. I haven't um, read that one, no. Uh, it's a good one. And, and basically one of the primary um, philosophies is first who, then what. And so you go, okay, who's on the bus and are they in the right seats? Now they're here, we, we can start driving. So let's think mm -hmm. about where we're gonna go. And, and so I've been focusing a lot on the who right now and making sure that you know, we have that, that team in place, that, that team that holds professional standards high, that serves the community and the customer well, these kind of things. And if those things are in place, I think the what becomes a lot um, clearer and, and, and more attainable. And then we have to work with the how. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. you know, so, and I think the how, there's <clears throat> different ways to do that. So, you know, the, the big names, the Remax, the Coldwell Bankers, you know, they were once upon a time, one broker that started things out. And um, there's things to learn from, from them uh, that I certainly don't know at this point. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's my, I don't think that that's my goal is to be, you know, some big well-known name brand. I would like to be well-known in our community. Um, and, uh, but we'll see, we'll see where it goes, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that's interesting because yeah, I mean, the, the, again, there's an analogy in accounting where you create these sort of intermediate managerial levels, mm -hmm. people that, you know, they, they may not aspire to that top level, but then at the same right. time, you can rely on them to help bring up those that, you know, like you said, are just getting started or, you know, they, they need some. So in, in, in accounting, it's review, right? You know, you have somebody on the on the low level that's doing the work, but then you have somebody above them that's doing the review. And so, you know, reviewing that, reviewing the bookkeeping, making sure the month was done correctly and was closed out correctly, reviewing the tax return, making sure they didn't miss anything or, you know, making sure there isn't something they could have done to make that tax bill a little bit lower or something like that. Okay. But, okay. you know, that kind of work, you, you're trying to get to the point of building your firm where you've got those three tiers, right? You've got somebody at the bottom doing the work, somebody in the middle that's reviewing that work, and then you at the top can be the one that is, you know, actually going out there and getting more clients or promoting the brand or those kinds of things. And so you're not actually doing the day-to-day -day accounting work. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what my employee, I, I mentioned I have seven agents and an employee and that's, she is, um, she provides, she wears a lot of different hats. Um, right yeah, now starting right. off her and I both over like, listen, we're the ones cleaning the bathrooms. We're the ones answering yep. the phones. Like we are a small business just starting and that's the way it the works. glorious life of, the of glorious being an entrepreneur. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's kind of where we're at now, but she is, um, both on the, um, on, on the, on the, I don't, I don't know if you said bottom or I don't know how to say that, but, um, you know, she's boots on the ground as far as, yeah. you know, getting flyers developed, helping me with my marketing, social media, admin stuff, ordering paper for the office, making sure I have signs, all of those things. 
But in the other side, she's also handling a lot of the review at this point as well. So I'm, she is not a licensed agent, but we have in our community what's called a transaction coordinator. And those are the people that basically do the review. They make sure that the files are in order, every initial has been done, you know, everything is kind of chugging along towards closing. Um, you know, real estate, the work really doesn't start until after you have the contract. Uh, and then it's project management basically from that point to the closing. Are all the pieces in place? Are all the people doing what they're supposed to be doing? Um, and so she uh, is being trained to do that. Um, and then ultimately the review falls on me. But absolutely, I mean, you have to have a lot of different, um, you know, uh, levels and oversight and, and checkpoints uh, along the way, uh, both of our fields. I mean, we can, there's legal, you know, yeah. mine, landmines all over the place <laughs> that we have to right. be aware of. So um, definitely an important thing to recognize. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. So in particular, um, and I brought this up at the beginning, but there's this one uh, thing that you were telling me about the other day that I really want to make sure we cover here that mm -hmm. you can do as a broker um, that that other realtors uh, can't do. And this is the this is the BPO. Tell, tell us about the BPO and tell us what this is and, you know, who could use this and why they want to use it. Sure. Um, so the BPO is a broker's price opinion. Now, um, just to back up a little bit, the, um, a, a sales associate who's not a broker can still do a broker's price opinion. The weight on it, um, won't usually be, um, won't usually be like, it won't be as high as if it came from the broker. So oftentimes what they'll want is the broker just to sign off on it. So the broker ends up reviewing it and that kind of thing. Um, a BPO, it, and, and even to go back even further, licensed real estate agents can do appraisals. However, if we want to do appraisals, we have to abide by all of the appraisal guidelines, which we are not trained to do, and we do not have the resources. We don't have that form that, you know, the U.S. procedures of the appraisals, you know, that have that. So um, we don't do those. <laughs> There's too much liability and that kind of thing. We've got um, another episode with an appraiser and it, it, oh, it's, it's a lot to it. It's a lot it's to a lot. it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, to, and we had a discussion about, you know, it, it's basically on the consumer side. You're, you're, you're just, you, you get that offer accepted and then you just kind of hold your fingers crossed until the appraisal and the inspection get done because oh, it, it's, yeah. it's a black box, you know, you don't know. And then all of a sudden your realtor tells you, ah, we got the appraisal. It's good. Or uh, we got the appraisal. It's not what we were hoping for. And it's just like, what, what, where, where did this come from? It, it, yeah. The appraisal is definitely one of the more um, up in the air things that you yeah. come across. And, and I always tell people right up front, cause I want expectations there. I have never seen a transaction that doesn't have a complication. There are always going to be, there's always going to be just a little bump in the road um, that happens, just be ready for it. And when it comes, we'll say, this is that bump in the road. Remember I told you, this is what might happen. And appraisal is oftentimes part of that bump in the road. Um, so it's, uh, it is an important piece and I don't claim to know how to do, I, I would never, I mean, that's just not my calling. <laughs> so, right, um, right. but what we do often do in our jobs, realtors, real estate agents, um, we, often have to do comparative market analyses. So anytime we're doing a listing, they want to know how much is my house worth? I mean, that's everybody's first question. How much is my house worth? And the next one is, how are you going to sell it? <laughs> and so we have to be able to show them how much it's worth. Now, in general, sellers, and now this doesn't apply to everybody, but sellers think that their homes are worth a lot of money. 
They think the neighbor's house is just the same as that floor plan, but I have this and I have that and they don't. So mine is worth 20 grand more and you go, well, you know, so we do a lot of, of those. We also do CMAs when um, we put in offers. Sometimes the buyers will want us to run comps um, and you know comparable properties. We pull them up to see and to let us know to kind of help guide them on what they want to offer. So we do those a lot. A BPO is kind of a CMA up, a level up. So it's like a CMA on steroids, we'll say. Um, a BPO will also take into consideration things that the appraisers do, um, like the general economy of the area, the um, uh, way that the prices are moving in general, over growth over last year, or you know, um, depreciation of, of property values. And we take a look at all of those things um, from more of a bird's eye view, a global look. We can kind of take with a CMA, you're kind of, you've got a house and you're kind of bringing it out. With the BPO, you kind of have the community as, as a large and you kind of bring it in. Um, and so a BPO is something, um, there's no universal format for that. And over time, I started doing, um, I, I started doing them. Uh, actually, I had a customer because one thing always leads to another in our businesses um, who ended up having a position in leadership in a local government. And um, since it was still when the economy, the, the housing economy was depressed in a way, they were still getting um, or they had already gotten properties that were relinquished to them um, as the municipality for people not paying property taxes, abandonment, um, maybe they passed away and had no heirs. They ended up with all these properties that they owned and that since they owned them, they weren't collecting taxes on them. So to get them back on the tax roll, they said, we need to put these on the market. We don't know how much they're worth. And the, um, the person in, in the position to make the decision had to get approval from a board. So he said, listen, I don't wanna pay an appraiser to do 10, 20 properties. Um, just as a market expert, can you do um, a CMA? And I went, well, yeah, but you're presenting this to a board. Um, you know, let's do a BPO. That's going to be that's going to hold more weight and and that kind of thing. So I started getting practice into doing that. And as I was doing practice on that, I became very picky in how I do my BPOs. <laughs> yeah. Right. So when I opened this brokerage, I put in my policies that for now. I complete BPOs. I don't want my agents to complete them. They do all the CMAs that they want. But when it comes to a BPO that's coming from Cardinal Row, I want it to be in a certain format and in a certain, um, you know, have a certain level of, of um, I don't know, quality to it or whatever. Yeah. So um, BPOs, I gave you that one example from, you know, from a municipality standpoint. Um, and there are other situations where they can be very applicable. Um, a couple I have, just so you know, I mean, properties can be very confusing if they're in probate or if there's the way that the title was taken and one, um, ten or one of the owners wants to buy out the other owner or something like that. A lot of times we can do a BPO in that situation. Um, BPOs are not generally used with loans. Um, so it, it won't take a, um, you know, BPO, a lender won't take that and go, okay, great. Now we're going to go ahead and sign off as this, as collateral, because this agent said it was worth this. That's not what it's for. Um, but we will see them with private sales, um, people using BPOs. Uh, I did have recently um, a woman come to me who's going through a divorce and it's the same kind of thing that, you know, they were transferring ownership and the attorneys wanted to know how much was the house worth as far as their assets go. 
um, she, well, they didn't want to pay for an appraisal, you know, can we do a BPO? Another situation um, is I recently had somebody, and, and this is the first time I've heard of it, so I'm not quite sure um, if it's going to apply to lots of different people, but it may. Um, you might want to ask, there is generally, um, when you don't have 80% loan to value in your home, you have private mortgage insurance. Um, and this is with a conventional product, so not an FHA or a VA or anything like that. And once you obtain that 80% loan to value ratio, you can drop that mortgage insurance. So this particular person contacted me. She bought the house in the downturn for you know nothing. It's basically worth three times what she bought it for, but she's still paying, paying PMI uh, because when she bought it, little money down. So she said, um, listen, they're, they're saying that they'll take a BPO instead of an appraisal. And I was like, wow. But apparently it's a portfolio, it's, it's a private lender, and they went, listen, we know this, this value is not what it is now. We're pretty sure just, you know, we just need something from somebody yeah. saying. And so I said, okay, let me put together a BPO and send it over to you, and hopefully your bank will take that and drop your PMI. So, I mean, that's kind of a thing. Like I said, I don't know how far that's going to go, but it was an interesting little piece. Um, so I do charge for BPOs. They're, t they're pretty time-consuming. So um, I, my typical range, it depends on the neighborhood and the market and things like that, but it can go anywhere from 200 to $300 for a BPO, um, depending on how involved you want it to be. Appraisals usually start at four, 450. Um, so it will save you a little bit of money. Um, and uh, part of the reason why I like to offer them is because it does help build those relationships with people. And it keeps me sharp. You know, so it's a little value add, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, add, yeah. So this is, this is where, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're first thinking about listing your house, you're going to get the agent to do this comparative market analysis. And that's yeah. just going to kind of put a, you know, a, a good reasonable estimate of what the property is actually worth. And then to actually get the lending, you're going to want that full blown appraisal and you're going to yeah. get this official professional opinion of this is what it's actually worth, but somewhere in between for these other kinds of scenarios where, okay. you know, something a little bit more authoritative than a realtor saying this is what it's worth, but you don't need that full blown appraisal for a loan or something like that. Right. So, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I think these are good examples of, of times where, yeah, you know, sometimes people do need, I just need some documentation of what it's worth other than what Zillow tells me, you know, it's what, right. I need something a little bit more than that, but you know, I don't feel like having an appraiser come out here. Well, and yeah. it's again, and it's a little better in the fact that they can pick up the phone and call me. Where right. are you at with this? Um, or we, you know, I can be a little bit more custom as far as making appointments with them. Appraisers yeah. have to, you know, most of the time um, they're very busy and bogged down and you, they have to be very unbiased. So their relationships with their clients mm -hmm. and their customers has a little bit more of a, of a, you know, um, a gap or a arm's length between them. So if they're looking for something, they can just pick up the phone and go, Hey Jen, or they get the BPO and they go, wait a minute, that comp doesn't make sense to me. Let me tell you something about that that you don't know or something like that. They can give me a call and I can, I, I can do that. Um, so it does also yeah. offer that little bit of, um, yeah as well now, now you actually know the person that is putting yeah. that value on it and so yeah because i you know when when my wife and i bought our house in texas we got the you know we were the buyers but we got the appraisal and the appraisal you know it, it was interesting because we were on the buying side but the appraisal came up short and we knew that the sellers they they were in a position to where they didn't have to sell it immediately so we knew that if 
the appraisal came in short, they would probably just close the deal because they wanted what they thought they could get out of it. And we had already offered a little bit lower than what they wanted. And so the appraisal came up short, but then I was reading through the appraisal report and all of the comparables were two bedrooms. The three comparables were two bedrooms and what we were buying was three bedrooms. Um, so we actually had our realtor go back to the appraisal and try to get the appraisal up as the buyers, which was, which was strange. It was a strange position to be in, but you know, it was, it, it was kind of a convoluted process of, Hey, you know, like we don't, you know, we have legitimate grounds for thinking this isn't a good valuation of this property. Whereas, you know, you're saying with this, it, it would just be a simple conversation with exactly. you know, somebody that I've already been working with somebody that I already know because we've already worked together on buying houses in the past or something. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, a BPO is, is when you, when it's done right, it's going to be very factual and unbiased at the same time, there are factual errors. We are all human beings. And so th <laughs> there might be, there's definitely factual errors in the public records. So you might pull it up and it says it's right. three bedrooms. It's really two or it's two bedrooms, really three or you know, there was a permit and an addition was added, but it was never recorded. Um, you know, so what you see in person is what the market value is. It's not what you see on public records. So if I go to your house, it's going to be different. Um, so those comps, they're sold. There's people living in those. We don't go knocking on their door and say, hey, can we walk into your house to make sure that this is what it is? So there are going to be times where there is a genuine basis for change on those appraisals. Um, which is why there is an appraisal rebuttal process like your agent did. Um, but at the same time, uh, again, it's convoluted. You call yeah. the appraisal management company, gets a part of the appraiser. The appraiser's already busy. I'll get, I'll take a look at it. And then, you know, a week later, maybe, you know, it's, it's, a little bit more challenging. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that sounds uh, fantastic. Jennifer, thank you so much. Um, if people have questions, they want to get in touch with you, they want to do business with Cardinal Row, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Um, probably the best way right now is... Um, Other than your phone number, which is... Yeah, right I was going to say, my We have cardinalrow.com um, is our website, and we have Facebook. Uh, we monitor that all the time. My personal email is jennifer at cardinalrow.com. And um, we're located in downtown Deland. We like walk-ins. Just come on by and say hi if you're in the area. Um, but in general, uh, we are here to serve. And anytime that um, anybody needs to get a hold of us, we we certainly hope that they that we have <laughs> we have our contact things set up in a way that they can. Um, so yeah, Cardinal Row Real Estate. Um, that's the name of the brokerage, and um, we're. Uh, we're, we're excited. We're going to have a little decorated vehicle and, and a parade next weekend and taking, you know, part of the community. So hopefully you'll hear, hear about us a little bit. Nice. More. Nice. Awesome. Well, Jennifer of Cardinal World Real Estate, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. A lot of great value. And this is the first, uh, broker. We've had a few realtors, but this is the first broker we've had on the show. And so this is a, a different way of thinking about real estate and the real estate profession. So thank you very much for coming awesome. on here. I am Jeremy Wells. Uh, this has been the JWL CFO show. You can find me all across social media at JWL CFO. Again, Jennifer, thank you so much to everybody listening and watching. Thank you. Have a great day.